everyone and welcome back to our golden 20s. As always, my name is Tegan and I'm joined with my co-host Sadie and we are also joined by a very special guest this episode. Emma is a certified holistic nutritionist specializing in gut health, digestive disorders, and the gut-to-brain connection. After dealing with her own mental, physical, and chronic conditions, Emma set out on a journey to heal her gut. She completed her certified nutritional practitioner designation and further functional medicine training in digestive disorders, IBS, SIBO, and the gut microbiome. She now works with and empowers others to take back control of their body, mind, and well-being through an intuitive and holistic approach. So Emma, thank you so much for joining us on our Golden 20s podcast. I think a great place for us to start would just be by you telling us about yourself and how you became a certified holistic nutritionist. Yes, I love this. And thank you as well for having me on. I love the concept of your podcast as someone who is in their last year of their 20s. I'd like to think I can hopefully impart or share some wisdom, um, especially relating to gut health. What got me to become the certified liquid nutritionist that I am today, and through my own journey, really, where a lot of people in healthcare start. So I had navigated uh, 15 plus years of chronic symptoms, mostly relating to digestion. So waking up bloated, going to bed bloated, altered bowel mm-hmm. function. So I either couldn't go for a few days or I was going every day, all day, abdominal pain, all of that. And then also other symptoms relating to energy. So debilitating fatigue, also brain fog, really painful periods and menstruation. And then what felt like I would describe a lifelong experience with anxiety and then depression in my early 20s. And so after not feeling aligned or supported by my primary physician's recommendations at the time, I was around 14, 2008, at 15, I decided to seek out alternative uh, care by visiting a naturopathic doctor. So this is really my first entry point into alternative health care or natural health care. And it really flicked a switch for me as after that first and only visit with a naturopath, I received my celiac disease diagnosis, which if you're not familiar, if anyone listening, it's an autoimmune disorder that results in a true gluten intolerance or allergy. Um, And she also suggested at the time that I was dealing with with what's called a candida overgrowth. And candida is a opportunistic species of yeast that can overgrow in your intestines. It's naturally present there. We want her around but just in optimal levels. And so when the condition of your gut is favorable, you can take that chance to overgrow and cause a wide array of symptoms. And so she, the naturopath had given me a lovely health plan and recommendation, but because I was so young, I really didn't take it seriously. And so I continued to eat all the gluten and all the things. I was definitely one of those teenagers where uh, I would get those fast food coupons in the mail and they'd be gone by the end of the week. Like my (laughs) diet was awful. So That was my teens. And then fast forward to 2016, in my early 20s, I was still navigating those chronic symptoms and my anxiety had skyrocketed and gotten a lot more severe um, day to day. I also would describe it as high functioning anxiety. And so others might not have known what I was dealing with day to day. I was matching it very well. But I did find that dietary interventions were really supportive around this time and stabilizing for me. So I ended up going gluten free finally. I focused on quality and, and a lot of more plant foods in my diet. And this really ignited me to study holistic nutrition. And 
the fascinating thing was during my two years at school, when I was studying, I was the sickest I had ever been. I was working with a handful of different clinicians and practitioners without really a lot of symptom relief. And I was also, funny enough, working in Toronto at a nightclub on the weekends and then going to school Monday to Friday. So you could imagine I wasn't sleeping. I was partying on the weekends at work just to deal with my social anxiety. And I wasn't eating very well either. So then when I graduated in 2019 and received my designation, I really used myself as my first client or case study. So I immediately enrolled in continuing education in what's called the functional medicine space to specialize more in digestive disorders and gut health and how to uh, use and apply insights from lab tests. So I, I finally received a second diagnosis, which is called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And then I went to work. I developed and applied my first health plan or protocol on myself in 2020. And after having fantastic outcomes and the remission of my symptoms, including anxiety, uh, my private practice got rooted once more. So in essence, I guess we could say uh, my pain became my purpose in my journey to becoming a holistic nutrition. I love that. I mean, it's unfortunate you had to go through pain, but I love that you've turned it into a positive for not only you, but other people. Thanks so much. I, I think looking back now, a silver lining is when I am serving the clients that I work with, I have this really tangible and intimate experience with some of the things that they're navigating. So not just the theoretical mm-hmm. knowledge I can apply. It's, oh, you're having this roadblock. Here's what I did to get through that. Or I can really resonate with their journey in a more intimate way, which I feel very special to to have to be able to do. Yeah, that's amazing. I did want to ask a little bit about the connection between the brain and gut health, because as you mentioned, you living with anxiety, I live with anxiety, and it's something we talk about on the podcast a lot. How does nutrition impact a person's mental health and how can you support the connection? I love this question. I could actually talk about this all day, but I'll try not to. (laughs) Before I talk about that connection, I feel like it might be nice for me to just briefly define the gut um, and what the gut gut microbiome is. And it's super trendy right now. If you live on gut Mm -hmm. talk, you can, you know, (laughs) consume as much information as you need. But just as a little refresher, or if it might be the first time someone's hearing about the gut microbiome, That term is used to refer to uh, over 39 trillion different microorganisms that live in your gut. So when we say the gut, we really are talking about the colon. Um, And so this could be bacteria, yeast, fungi, viruses, even parasites. There weren't some around, not too many. So they live within and on your body. And so to kind of put that number into perspective, if you were to look at your thumb right now, there are as many microbes on your thumb as there are people living in the UK. So pretty Mm. cool to think about. And the health and balance of this ecosystem, this gut microbiome, plays a role in the health and balance of your digestion, your hormones, your immunity, your mood, your mental state, your metabolism, and even how some of your genes are being expressed. Um, And so it's being termed the seat of health for good reason. And so we know from research that the gut and the brain are intimately connected by what researchers are calling the gut-brain axis. And so these two organs work on their own autonomously, yet they're involved in what's called a bi-directional relationship. So this means that the health and function of each is impacted by the other. So they are in constant communication and they communicate via three main pathways or mechanisms. So they communicate via your immune system, 
which 75 to 80% of your total immune system is actually located in your gut in a layer of tissue called gold that associated with white tissue. And the second is through the circulatory system. So uh, these are where neurotransmitters come in. We're more familiar with dopamine, serotonin, GABA. So that they communicate through those messengers. And then the third is through the nervous system. So we have a dense layer of tissue in our gut called the enteric nervous system, uh, which has same cells as we have in our brain called neurons. And also through the second piece of the nervous system, which is the vagus nerve. And if you haven't heard about this, it's the longest nerve in the body, and it starts from the back of your brainstem and goes all the way to your leptum and wraps around every major organ in between. And really, this is something I want to hold in on because it's considered the phone line between your gut and your brain mm. um, that they're using to communicate with each other all day long. And really, the vagus nerve is also this switch between our fight or flight state of our nervous system and that more restful, parasympathetic, rest, digest, and heal phase. So it can be really impactful to think about the vagus nerve and its function when you think about not only gut health and digestion, but your mental state and ability to recover from stress. And so key takeaway uh, from my spiel is whatever affects the gut will affect the brain and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And the research is really clear that common gut imbalances can cause and perpetuate mood disorders like anxiety and depression. For example, we know that over 90 to 95% of our serotonin, our happy, joy, safety molecule is made in the gut, and only 5 to 10% is made in the brain. Another interesting study revealed that after taking one course of antibiotics, within one year, that person's risk for developing a major depressive disorder goes up by 25%. And if wow. that person took two courses of antibiotics in that year, it goes up by 24%. And then finally, your gut microorganisms produce an array of metabolites that essentially send messages to your brain. So they modulate or create balance when, when it comes to your cognition or brain function, your emotions and behavior even. And so when your gut microbiome is compromised or disrupted, maybe it's by, you know, a lot of antibiotics or a diet high in processed foods, the signaling between this becomes abnormal and that can present uh, as depression, anxiety. It's also linked to bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, and even a form of disordered eating, anorexia. Uh, the bottom line, optimizing the health of your gut microbiome is the place to start if you're looking to optimize your mood, mental health, and cognitive function. And so to finally answer your second piece, what can you do <laughs> about it through your diet? Three key things really stick out to me with, with regards to kind of strengthening this connection. And so the first is blood sugar balance. So blood sugar dysregulation can actually present as being anxious all the time, interestingly enough. So we think about blood sugar balance when we think of diabetics, but really all of us, regardless of your age or health condition, could uh, be really supported by focusing on balancing your blood sugar throughout the day. So you can do that by making sure to eat breakfast in the morning, avoid skipping breakfast, eating something within one to two hours of waking, ideally high in protein. Um, and then if you are uh, monitoring yourself throughout the day, try to eat something every three to four hours. That's going to communicate safety to your body and let your body know that it's getting food. Another second point for nutrition factors to support the gut-brain access would be making sure to include gut-brain foods. So uh, these three are going to be probiotics or fermented foods. So these are foods that contain live bacteria and that confer health benefits to you. So kimchi, sauerkraut, kefir, tempeh, miso, and yogurt. If you're buying yogurt, you just want to see that it says active cultures or live bacterial cultures on the label. Mm -hmm. Essential fatty acids. So these are omega-3s, which are essential nutrients for the brain and the nervous system and the gut. 
They're called essential because we can't make them and we need to get them from our diet. And they have a long list of benefits, but they really help lower inflammation system-wide and support mood stability and cognitive function. So some sources would be wild-caught fish like salmon, trout, sardines, and then also some plant sources, walnuts, hemp seeds, flax seeds. So those three foods, or two foods, sorry, the third one is tryptophan rich foods. So tryptophan is an essential protein that we can't make and we have to get it from our food. Why is it relevant? Tryptophan from your diet is required in order to make serotonin. So you, if you want okay. to have that stabilizing neurotransmitter in an optimal amount, you need to get tryptophan from your diet in order to make it. Tryptophan rich foods would be turkey, eggs, cheese, tofu, uh, sunflower seeds, and pumpkin seeds. And then the last kind of point would be consider limiting gut microbiome disruptors as much as you can. So unnecessary courses of antibiotics would be one, a diet heavy in processed foods and packaged foods, and even some certain medications you, you might want to consider limiting. Obviously, a, a conversation with your primary healthcare physician, but things like enzymes, so ibuprofen and aspirin can really disrupt the signaling from your gut to your brain if taken all, all the time. Mm. Oh my goodness. I love everything you just said. I feel like I've learned so much already and we've only been recording for like 10, 15 minutes. I'm not usually somebody who's like a math or science brain person, you know what I mean? So I find like just even, I think actually you said that this is such a trendy topic right now and everyone's talking about it. And I find, you know, through my own anxiety or through my own kind of self-diagnosis of what I'm going through, I start to research things and then I'm like, oh, this is intimidating and scary and I don't know what I'm reading. But I think how you just talked to everything was very clear and already I'm like, wow, okay, I was reading about that, but I didn't fully understand what it meant and now it all (laughs) has made sense. So thank you so much for that. And I also think, you know, like you mentioned some really – interesting like connections, but simple ways that we can also support those systems. And the biggest one that I took away from that was not skipping breakfast, actually eating because I find like just last week, actually, I was so excited to talk to you today because I was like thinking about, I was having a very anxious day actually. And I was like, all I've ate today is actually I haven't ate anything. I've just had two cups of coffee and it's now one in the afternoon mm. and I'm shaking and I'm anxious and I'm like, all I want to do is just keep drinking coffee to like somehow energize me to keep going through the rest of the day. And I'm like, no, what we need to do here is eat an actual meal, like drink some water, not over caffeinate. Like, <laughs> you know, we really need to be the one to disrupt that cycle and take action to be like, no, you know, let's make some healthier decisions because not only is it going to stop my shakes, it's also going to stop that anxiety, stop that mental cycle from continuing. And then, like you said, over time, it obviously has a lot more positive benefits as well. So yeah, those were just some, some thoughts I had while you were talking, but (laughs) I love that. I think what you're describing is all of us can relate at some point where Mm -hmm. we're running on fumes and caffeine and then wondering why we're feeling the way that we're feeling. But those days, you know, are a part of it. And I have them myself. It's like 2 p.m. I'm like, why do I feel anxious? Oh, yeah, I didn't eat. Right. So it happens Mm -hmm. all the time. Life gets busy. And I think we can all relate to that. So I'm glad that you found some of that insightful. Um, I'm happy to share. Yeah. And Tegan and I have talked about this before, too. But it's almost annoying because it's like 
when we're taking care of ourselves, <laughs> eating healthy, drinking water, we feel so great, you know, and then something happens if it's a stressful, busy day at work, knocks us off kilter. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden we fall into those processed foods because they're quick and easy or, you know, drinking coffee mm-hmm. because we're tired, but we should be drinking water or something like that. So it is, I think something we'll talk more about, but Something else that I'd love to hear more about is hormones. And I know you mentioned you were struggling with painful periods and that's something I've always dealt with as well. And just the past few months, this is kind of why I started researching gut health was I've just had so many things going on, a lot of acne, lots of like crazy body temperatures all over the place. Like I feel like my weight's been fluctuating and Mm -hmm. I was like, maybe I need to look into gut health a little bit to see if there's a way to more naturally balance my hormones rather than just birth control and, you know, other things like that. So I wanted to, you know, get your input on the gut hormone connection and how that all fits into the gut brain connection you were just talking about. Mm, Yes, I love this connection as well. Um, (laughs) Just because I'm a female, maybe that's why. But uh, yes, you're right. I think those symptoms that you are navigating yourself, and my heart goes out to you, I think, you know, pretty much all of us have been there. I think the Mm -hmm. recent research is describing one in two women will experience a hormonal condition or disorder imbalance in their life. So there's a a high kind of um, statistic. And so the gut hormone connection can be a bit more complex because it can involve different systems and different hormones. It could be sex hormones like progesterone, estrogen, or it could also involve thyroid hormones. So Mm -hmm. for the context of what we're talking about here with menstruation and this conversation, I'm just going to focus on the gut connection with those female sex hormones, so estrogen and progesterone. So there is a collection of bacteria in the gut that is capable of metabolizing and regulating uh, the body's circulating estrogen. And this is called the estrobolome. So which this kind of collection of bacteria, the estrobolome, can impact not only the balance of your hormones, but also in turn affect things like weight gain, mood, libido, skin, period, PMS, all of that. And so when your gut microbiome is in balance, and so we have an optimal and helpful level of the beneficial bacteria and proper amounts of the more opportunistic or harmful um, this estrobolone is producing optimal levels of an enzyme called beta-glucuronidase. And if your gut is imbalanced, too much of this can be produced, which can impair your liver's ability to then detoxify and excrete excess estrogen from your body. And so when that happens, estrogen that's supposed to be packaged up in a nice little present and sent out to your stool via these enzymes to be evacuated ends up being reabsorbed. Uh, reactivated and re-released back into your circulation. And estrogen is a very inflammatory uh, hormone. And so this can contribute to hormonal imbalances via what's called estrogen dominance, where you have too much estrogen in relation to the progesterone. So at the beginning of your cycle, they're kind of doing this dance all throughout the month and in kind of inversing when one's high, one's low, and that's what you want to see. Um, except for certain parts in your cycle. But sometimes when estrogen is too high in relation, this is why we're, we're talking about is estrogen dominance. And so elevated levels of the beta-glucuronidase, which can lead to estrogen dominance, is associated with hormonal conditions like PCOS, endometriosis, mm-hmm. and even some hormonal cancers like breast or cervical cancer. And even some experience with how I mentioned my painful periods, only in the last two and a, no, maybe three years, have I been experiencing 
my period starting, I wasn't even aware of it. So I track it with um, like a cycle tracker. I'm not on birth control right now. But my PMS symptoms used to be so bad. It was mostly like mood. You don't want to talk to me. Don't come near me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Trying, you know, I'd be walking in the grocery store and I'd see like the activity, activity of yogurt containers with like a family. I'd be like crying. So <laughs> like moved by it. Just crazy moods, hormones, just going nuts for my PMS, like tender breath, all of it. And now I don't even experience PMS symptoms. I know this seems like a fantasy world, but I, the, there was a quote I saw that kind of captured it best is that PMS is common, not normal. And so while all of us struggle with it in varying degrees, and that's not to say my cycles aren't perfect. If my diet shifted that month, I, I really noticed it mm -hmm. or what have you, I'm more stressed, but it is possible to have less or, you know, um, not as severe PMS symptoms. And so how can you get there? Like, how can you support this connection? Um, three things to kind of focus on, obviously start with the health of your gut. And so consume those probiotic rich foods more often. Thinking about getting a more diverse intake of plants on your plate. That's going to mean that your gut's going to be more diverse. And the more diverse your gut microbiome is, the more healthy and resilient it is. Um, focus on your fiber intake would be number two. So um, this is going to feed your gut, the beneficial bacteria in your gut, but also help to bind and excrete those excess estrogens. So if you are dealing with some sort of uh, estrogen imbalance or dominance, it'll help to lower that. And so ideally, uh, regardless of your gender, you would want to be aiming for 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day. And then the third would be really consider limiting or avoiding as much as possible your intake of refined sugar. So white sugar, brown sugar, corn syrup, label reading will come in handy. Yeah. And this is going to impact your hormones for sure, but also your gut health. And the suggested amount of added sugar in your diet is around eight teaspoons or 33 grams per day. And once you start to track it, you'll be surprised mm -hmm. at how much sugar we consume. It's hiding in everything, sausage, condiments, you name it. So those three things are a really great place to start. And then even looking into seed cycling, which is a way to use food to balance out those levels of estrogen and progesterone. So you're basically using four different seeds that are going to help um, those levels throughout the month. You can make them into balls. You can add them to smoothies. If you just Google it or even go on TikTok, you'll find a lot of really great information. Fascinating. Thank you. I feel like, like Sadie said, there's so much information. I'm picturing like someone listening to this now and they're like, yes, I have all these symptoms. Like finally someone's explaining it to me. What are like the first steps for someone who's like identifying themselves in these symptoms what's like the first step to I don't know starting to heal their gut it generally I guess yeah I, that's a great question I think I first want to touch on what you're saying let's define those symptoms a little clearly on my end so things to look out for that signs or symptoms that could be a sign you're getting some TLC the first would be the obvious digestive symptoms. So bloating, frequent bloating, constipation, diarrhea, maybe acid reflux or increased levels of gas. The second would be weight changes or fluctuating weight. Also food sensitivities and intolerances. You can just feel that you're not reacting to foods well. And if it's a long list, that's even more of a, a kind of insight. Um, fatigue, especially chronic fatigue and low energy. Skin complaints, so acne, psoriasis, dermatitis, eczema. Um, hormonal imbalances, so presenting maybe as PMS symptoms, cramping during men menstruation, increased cravings, mood swings, um, impaired cognition and mood disorders, so brain fog, anxiety and or depression even. And then, of course, if you've been um, diagnosed with any type of autoimmune disorder or disease like rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's or celiac, the gut always plays a role in those conditions. And so 
before you start throwing your money into fancy, schmancy, expensive supplements that someone on TikTok told you to buy, don't worry, we've all done it, we've all been there, we're just trying to do our best. Um, if you secure those nutritional and lifestyle foundations first, especially if you just experience maybe miles of these symptoms, you'd be surprised on how far this can go. And, and, and again, in the effort of empowerment, um, it's a great place to start because I always say to clients, you cannot out supplement a poor diet or lifestyle. And so first you want to focus on whole foods. So if the 80% of your diet is con- comprised of whole foods with fiber and nutrients, that goes a long way. And so a paleo template, um, I don't love paleo because it's kind of restrictive. So if you don't need to be mm-hmm. on it, something like that would be a good start. Um, well, what's called an ancestral diet. That's another great one to look into going to be nutrient dense and these diets are going to avoid or limit those processed foods in an effort to lower inflammation body wide Mm. also monitoring your fiber intake like we talked about and including those probiotic rich foods and consider also in this if you struggle with what feels like poor or sluggish digestion so maybe you're bloated immediately after meals you feel really tired after you eat um consider consuming bitter foods so 10 to 15 minutes before meals like olives, arugula, even 70% dressed chocolate could be a bit of food, um, a square or two, or even a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar diluted in water before meals is going to stimulate your digestion. So uh, hopefully mitigating any of those symptoms you might get. So that's number one. Um, and then number two, maybe you're like, okay, Emma, but I'm eating really healthfully and I'm supporting my digestion and I'm still out here struggling. Then a good place that I always recommend, which isn't talked about enough, is maybe start to audit your stress and your sleep. So first, you might want to define your stress. So of course, like financial stress, relational stress, pandemic stress, work stress, Mm -hmm. all of that is relevant in the first place our brains go. But if you lean into self-inquiry a little more, you know, where are you maybe a little toxic You know, where Mm -hmm. might you be creating Mm -hmm. your own stress? And this could be perfection tendencies. Maybe you identify as being an overachiever or you're really restrictive in areas of your life, maybe even your diet. And so these can all be stressors that we don't think about. And then maybe you've identified and you say, you know, ask, am I managing my stress in supportive ways or am I just binging, hey, you and the desperate housewives, you know, or that <laughs> real housewives of Beverly Hills. Guilty. Uh, I get it. But also, you know, are you taking time daily to prioritize your stress um, and provide yourself with that stress relief that you might need, especially if you're a busy mm-hmm. professional and you're going through maybe a little bit of burnout And then the sleep audit would be, you know, are you spending that final hour before bed eating or scrolling on social? Mm -hmm. We all do it. Mm -hmm. But if you can say, you know, 50% of the time to 60% of the time, you're not. See how that Mm -hmm. affects your gut because it does play a massive role in in digestion, but also the health of your gut because unchecked stress and poor sleep can have a direct impact on either contributing or worsening those symptoms by affecting your gut barrier, which is supposed to be really strong. Um, leaky gut syndrome is something that's been thrown around a lot lately and it's it's a real thing and so um, that can impact your gut barrier to become a little bit more leaky which creates inflammation because things that were once localized in the gut inappropriately leave the gut and enter into your bloodstream your immune system goes we don't recognize what this is we're tagging it we don't like it and the response your body gives is inflammation and so that and it also weakens your intestinal immunity which we talked about and stress itself can disrupt the health and balance of your gut and then finally, the third piece to start would be maybe you've tried all the things that we're talking about and you've been DIYing your gut health for a while without those outcomes or symptom relief that you're after. Um, consider investing in a root cause approach by, you know, being supported by a 
practitioner that operates and functions this way, maybe investing in some functional lab tests that can give you those science-driven data and insight to tell you exactly what's going on, um, can actually save you time, effort, and money in the long run by finally getting into, you know, those outcomes you've been after. So those, that would be kind of my top places to start. Yeah, I think those are very actionable things people can take away and implement or like explore. And I really love, I'm someone who's all about like self-discovery, knowing yourself. I think there's so much power in that. Mm -hmm. And I go through phases of having like really healthy living spurts almost. And it's always through the summertime where I'm like, you know, Mm -hmm. going for runs. I'm doing yoga all the time in the morning and I'm eating really healthy. And Last summer, my sister was saying how I should really be tracking things and how these, you know, the days I go for runs, how my energy feels based off what I eat, how I'm feeling, how how well I sleep, that sort of thing. And it was really the first time I ever was like, oh, yeah, like this is a whole part of self-discovery I haven't even tapped into. And there's so much power here. And literally it's not even really changing anything in your life at first. It's really just taking stock of what you already do, the routines you already have in place, what you're already eating, and then just jotting down how it makes you feel. And then over time, since I'm also a big journaler and like reflective person, it's like, okay, now reflect on that. And then also see if you can draw some themes out and you can kind of get some learnings from that. And then change things up and see how it, you know, how it impacts you. So I feel like it is, again, a really like intimidating thing to start, but I think it doesn't have to be. And I also love the point around doing what TikTok says, buying the latest thing, whatever they tell you to do, you just do. But I think your last point around, you know, getting tests done or seeking like professional help or seeing a practitioner, like, I think that's another thing I always lose sight of is how personal this experience is. And even, you know, what worked for you might not work for me and for Tegan and even for my sisters, you know, we talk about it or I talk about things with my mom, but we all are impacted in different ways. So I think that's also a really Mm -hmm. important point to make as well. I love everything you said. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, those points in any part of our journey, Mm -hmm. myself included. Yeah. Okay. I have one question for you that we didn't prep you for ahead of time. So feel free to breeze over it. But you also mentioned a lot about whole foods. And this is something I've never really got a clear answer on, but I'm just wondering how whole foods or how supplements can kind of play into it. It's obviously better to get things directly from the source, you know, like when you were talking about your probiotics and things like that. However, there's also even I guess some of like your omega-3s and those sorts of things you see come in capsule supplement forms. However, they do also come in a lot of these foods that you mentioned just now. So what's kind of your take on that? Like, should we really start with adjusting our diet first to try to get these things in more nat or not naturally, but just in the whole foods way? Or is layering in supplements helpful as well? Yeah, I love this question. And I would agree with you, you know, in all worlds, even like in my field of colleague to colleague, I think there'll be differing answers depending on the person. Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, it really comes down to your bio-individual needs. So what's your digestion like, your rate of absorption? If you have like severe leaky gut going on or increased intestinal permeability is a medical term, then maybe you do need some like supplemental forms like an IV or like a formal form, which... uh, 
allows the nutrient to be encapsulated in a sphere so that it gets to the place it needs to get. There's kind of some nuances, but generally speaking, um, the first point I want to make is exactly what you said. You know, it's more accessible and empowering to start with food. And so if we take probiotics, for example, there are going to be more therapeutic benefits when you take a probiotic capsule. So this is something that's going to be directly getting to the place it needs to get. It has higher amounts of those beneficial bacteria. So it's used one medicinally or therapeutically. But there are some, you know, budding research, kind of announcing research regarding the benefits of eating your probiotics. There's what they call, you know, more synergistic benefits where you're getting those live bacteria. They might survive digestion a little bit better than a capsule, depending on the manufacturer. You're getting added nutrients and vitamins. And so kind of nuanced. And it really depends where what you're after and the outcome you're after. If you need it medicinally, then the capsule might be better. But um, I think the other kind of part to this conversation is Unfortunately, with modern agriculture and modern farming, the health of our soil is just not what it used to be. And more so relating to being deficient in those essential minerals and vitamins. And so then if we think about it, um, mostly, you know, magnesium, uh, iron, those kinds of things, we think about it, the foods that might be really high in these nutrients, like a tomato, really high in mm. vitamin A, let's say, it is. there's a book that I um, read in school, I think what's in your food I might have to circle back and you can put it in the show notes um, I can't remember it but mm-hmm. it really explains how because of our soil health the nutrients in our food are not as bioavailable or rich as they used to be and so we're seeing a ton of nutrient deficiencies and the body needs about 40 different micronutrients so these are like vitamins and minerals in order to function and for longevity for optimal health and to prevent disease and the reality is not a lot of us, especially North America, are actually reaching that nutrient intake, even if we're eating a healthful diet. Mm-hmm. So supplementing can help kind of that nutrient gap that we might be missing and help us reach those optimal levels of nutrients that we might need. So I'm a big fan of supplementation. I think it's navigating, you know, what's brand better, what to look for on a label and mm-hmm. making making sure those recommendations are individualized to you and your concerns and your unique makeup would be kind of my, my last point. Yeah, that's awesome. I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any tips for anyone listening who I'm picturing like a student or someone who might not have a lot of money right now, who thinking back on my university years, it was like eating McDonald's all the time because that was what was cheap. And obviously that's not the best. Do you have any tips for I don't know, a way to kind of make it accessible or maybe budget friendly to start trying to heal your gut? Yeah, absolutely. I think if I thought about how to use food first, because it is the most accessible, that would be where I would start. And so three things that stick out would be one, consider following the clean 15 and dirty 12 guidelines. So if you're not familiar, this represents the least sprayed with pesticides and the most sprayed with pesticide produce. Um, And this list is released by the Environmental Working Group, the EWG, uh, and they update it yearly. So they do independent lab tests on all of these produce. And so Clean 15 are the ones that are the least sprayed. And so um, you can buy those conventional. And then Dirty 12, if you eat these a lot, consider investing or slurping in that organic label. Because why do we care? Pesticides are shown to be very disrupting to your gut microbiome. And so in the effort to keep it healthy, And therefore, if we're thinking it's the seat of your health, you're really investing in one area that 
plays a role in many other facets of your health. So it's well worth your investment. Um, so the Dirty 12 list this year, if I can remember, are strawberry, spinach, kale, peaches, pears, nectarines, apples, grapes, cherries, blueberries, and green beans. Um, so consider getting those organic. So that's where I would start. And the second, do not be shy of canned food or frozen produce. Mm. I think frozen produce gets a bad rep. Um, yeah. But in reality, it can sometimes be fresher than fresh produce. And that's a spicy mm. take. But why is because <laughs> frozen produce is picked and then immediately flash frozen. So this can retain the nutrients via fresh produce, which is picked. It's on the truck wherever it's coming from, then sits on the store shelf for a week. And then let's be honest, it sits in your fridge for at least a few days, sometimes <laughs> up to a week. I'm guilty of throwing out those greens I meant to eat and then they're in my compost mm. bin. You know, we, yeah. I think all of us can relate to that. Totally. Um, mm-hmm. And so the nutrient content of that fresh produce can be impacted throughout that journey. So don't be shy of, of frozen produce. And then if you're looking for canned items like beans, legumes, fish, um, you want to ideally look for BPA-free if we're thinking about hormone health. And then use those same clean 15 and dirty dozen guidelines for whatever you're buying mm. canned. And then if you're looking at fish, uh, look for wild pot. It'll be like a blue MSC certified label that um, is what mm-hmm. you want. And then the third, um, which I wish I would have known back when I was in university, was <laughs> lean on these complete sources of animal proteins, or excuse me, of mm. plant proteins, because animal proteins are going to be more expensive when in comparison. Mm-hmm. And so what do I mean by complete sources of plant proteins? If you're not familiar, just because a plant food is high in protein, like black beans, for example, it doesn't mean that it contains all of the amino acids that a protein needs in order for it to be the most usable and absorbable by the body. And so amino acids are protein building blocks. We can think of them as like Legos if you want to picture that. And so the more of these uh, amino acids the protein has, the more usable and absorbable it is. And so there are only a short list of complete animal proteins, and this would be soy. So you want to source organic. It's one of the most great crops. So in the form of edamame, tempeh, tofu, soy milk, um, mm-hmm. and then non-GMO or organic is what you're looking for. And then hemp seeds, quinoa, and buckwheat are all going to be complete sources of protein. They're relatively cheap and self-stable and can provide you with a wide array of nutrients other than protein as well. That's so great. And I love how you're giving us specifics. Like I'm writing my grocery list as you're talking (laughs) (laughs) because I'm like, Hey, this is exactly what I need. And even just, I love also that you touched on the frozen produce. I feel like this is just turning into me telling you Mm -hmm. all my life problems, but, or all my recent Google searches actually. (laughs) And you're answering all of them. I'm like, okay, Emma, maybe (laughs) you're just my personal little Google search engine over here because I've Googled like is uh, frozen like fruits for my smoothie just as good as like fresh ones and I was coming up with the exact mm-hmm. same thing that you said where it was like yeah just like due to when they're frozen and stuff so I don't know it's just nice to have that reassurance and to be like okay yes I mm-hmm. am doing something and it's nice now to be like okay how can I take this a step further in a way that's easy and sustainable mm-hmm. because like we were just saying, when life gets busy, mm-hmm. often taking care of yourself or the meal prep and, you know, all the healthy habits that you've established are the first to go when you're in a time crunch or something like that. So all of this to say, mm-hmm. I love everything that you've been giving us. Thanks so much. If people are wanting to connect with you more or hear from you more, could you explain where they can find you and then also what it's like to work with you? Yes. It would be my pleasure. Um, maybe I'll start with the first or the last part first. So uh, just because I think 
depending again uh, on the clinician or nutritionist, we all operate and a little bit differently. Some of it's informed by our personal experience, right, or the different trainings we have. And so, um, as a holistic nutritionist, I align with the philosophy that healing is both an art and a science. And so, my approach in my practice. Uh, is to combine that evidence-based and science-led strategies in combination with the holistic therapies. So I found this so far to be the most effective combination to facilitate those health outcomes my clients are after, while also believing and aligning with the philosophy that the body innately is a self-healing system and is designed to be. It always wants to be in a state of balance. And so when given what it needs and removing what it doesn't, it can self-heal. Um, and then although temporary therapeutic diet may be part of your process, if you were to work with me, I really like to focus more on inclusion. What can you include versus restriction? I'm not a big fan of restrictive diets, even therapeutically. And I don't know a single female or person who identifies as a female who hasn't navigated some form of disordered eating, myself mm-hmm. included. And so I really take that 80-20 approach with nutrition. So 80% of the time we're eating for health and what you're after. 20% of the time, eat for joy, connection, stress, relief, pleasure, all of it. There's room for it all. Um, and so what it's like to work with me in terms of my offerings, I have a signature program to securing your gut health, which is called the Gut Restore Package. So these are four sessions, one-on-one, and four custom health plans and four custom meal plans that you receive and the supplement, lifestyle, dietary recommendation, organic. And um, these are designed around the functional medicine, five R approach to gut healing. Um, you can learn more about that and what that entails by visiting my website, which is www.getrooted.com. And I also have a free PDF guide that you can find um, in my Instagram bio, which is eating gut healthy on a budget. So you can find that in my IG bio. My handle is at gutrooted. Awesome. And all of that information will also be in the show notes. So everyone can check that out. And then we just have one final question, which is something new that we're trying with guests. So yeah, you're the first official guest to try it out. But we want to ask every single guest on the podcast the same question so we can kind of compile a variety of different answers. But what is a piece of advice that you'd give your younger self looking back? I love this question so much. And like this is full circle from the beginning because I'm leaving my buddies. Right. I'd probably be writing younger and like how to better survive your 20s with less trauma manual. But if <laughs> I had to give one piece of advice, really it's something I learned on last year, it would be learning how to surrender sooner. Surrendering to the process, to the flow of life, to adversity, because the only constant in life is change. And so the more you resist, the more suffering it creates. And when you learn how to flow with the chaos and through the chaos, you create resiliency and trust and hope in the face of adversity or the unknown, which you get to choose as the unknown scary or is it this wonderful, magical thing waiting for me. And so a side note to that, which I would whisper in her ear would be, it's not that serious. It's never that serious. No one cares uh, no. about what you do or say. And, and if they do, it has very little to do with you. So don't take it personally. Mm-hmm. Not you, it's them. I love that. Sadie and I were literally just talking about how, this sounds negative, but how nothing really matters. <laughs> so don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, we're literally these human suits being run by bacteria on a spinning <laughs> rock. Like nothing matters. It's all temporary. And I, I'm my own worst enemy. Like I'll get in my own head and create these mm-hmm. narratives and get myself all hyped up. Or yeah. I can just have that. I sound yeah. so dumb. Or I can't believe this happened. But really, like no one's thinking about it but you. <laughs> so yeah. it's true. I think it's something I have to constantly remind myself of. Yeah, there's something very humbling about reminding yourself about that and getting yourself out of your head. So I love that you guys had that conversation. <laughs> yeah, totally. And there's so much power in surrendering. I feel that too, where I'm like the days where I can just be like, you know what? You win universe. You win today. I give up. I surrender. Like I'm just going to accept this for what it is. I just feel so much better. And then I find that also if I'm having like a series of bad things happening in a day where just nothing's going right, the moment I surrender, that's when it all stops because I just stop putting out the negative energy and it stops coming back to me. (laughs) And it's just so liberating. So I think that is actually a very powerful piece Mm -hmm. of advice. Thank you for sharing. (laughs) My pleasure. And what you just said was really beautifully said too. I resonate so much. Oh, thanks. And I was, I'm like your biggest fan on Instagram. And I know you said that (laughs) you um, are in your last year of your 20s, but you also just like recently wrapped up your Saturn return, was it? And just just starting it. Okay, me too. Yeah. Okay. I'm just starting to, I thought you just finished it because I was like, okay, I need to, we need to stay on after because I'll be like, Kate, what is the advice you'd give (laughs) for people entering their Saturn return? But we're in this together. Okay. We're in together. And you know what I love about it? Like I'm not in a like pro or anything I have you know we all kind of look at it for our own self-inquiry or understanding but there's a few different things you can look to like where Saturn is in your chart if you haven't already checked out to kind of give you if you're anything like me I like love control and so surrendering has been the hardest thing for me you know it's pretty safety I know it's coming I think a lot of us are that way and so um in that effort you can find the little things about your chart to kind of give you some clues into what your sound return might entail so you can kind of be prepared for it yeah but I'm gonna need to take my own because yes. I'm just expecting chaos that's exactly what I was gonna say mm-hmm. I was gonna be like right okay change doesn't have to be scary like embrace it embrace it mm-hmm. yeah. surrender what you have to oh my goodness okay well good to know I think it goes without saying I'll be following along your Saturn return journey <laughs> as well as your gut health journey and everything <laughs> yes I have one more plug. I didn't think I was going to get to talk about this, but I yes, recently talked about my Saturn return on my stories. And I had so much response of people like just figuring it out for the first time they were in it. So I'm actually hoping at the end of April to create this free container for anyone navigating their Saturn return. It's going to be called the Saturn Soul Co. Anyone's invited if you're in the ages of 20, 29, or if you look at your birth chart and you see that Saturn is in the sign of Pisces. Welcome to your Saturn return. It's going to be a shit show. If you're looking for a support group of people who think this is real or recognize that it's real. And, you know, I think I say that I think a support group is necessary when you're navigating this because Saturn is, your Saturn return so classically affects relationships and partnerships and jobs and whatnot. Who your support group might be now might be changing. And so Mm -hmm. if you want to share wins and challenges with a bunch of strangers, if that's your thing, you are welcome to join. I'd love to have you, um, by the way. So stay tuned on my Instagram. I'll be kind of announcing the sign-up play. It would be a week, uh, weekly, a uh, quarterly Zoom call. So every three, four months, 
until it no one cares anymore or <laughs> until the Saturn return ends, which is 2.5 years from when it started. So that is something I'm really looking forward to doing. I love community and I think we can all benefit from having support through this crazy time. Oh my gosh. I love that so much. I'm like, sign me up. You sold me. I'm so glad <laughs> we brought this up and that you were able to talk about that because I'm so excited. That sounds that sounds so great. I'm excited. I'd love to have you. I'm looking forward to it. We want to thank Emma again for joining us on today's episode. As we said many times through the episode, we both learned so much from her and we hope you did as well. So thank you so much for listening. You can find Emma's website and Instagram handle. Both are gutrooted.com and at gutrooted, but the links are in our show notes. You can also find our social channels in the show notes as well. We are at our golden 20s on Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest. We have Spotify playlists and a Patreon. I guess that's the only other one I haven't mentioned yet, which is the best way to support the podcast for as little as $2 a month. So check it out. But I think that's everything for today. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next Tuesday.